This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Well, thank you so much for joining us for another broadcast. Great to have you here. I'm going to spend a little time on a story that I haven't had time to get to in recent days because of everything that's been going on with Afghanistan and the Taliban. There's always something in the news that shoves things aside. But I'm going to take a little time today to talk about a scandal that you need to know about. You know, on this program for many years, I have been talking about the evils of the human rights campaign. The human rights campaign is the biggest homosexual and transgender policy lobbying group in the United States and indeed in the world. They have incredible amounts of money. They have incredible amounts of power. As you know, if you've listened to me for any length of time, they have something called the Corporate Equality Index, where they rank corporations on how sufficiently pro-LGBT they are. And by using that Corporate Equality Index over the years, they have been able to use the power that they have to get corporations to do what they want, to cough up money, to support causes that otherwise they might have wanted to stay neutral on, but they would go after the corporations and try to let, you know help them lose business. So when you're being bullied by these people, you have a usually usually in most cases they capitulate and it's completely evil. You should not have to capitulate to a pro-LGBT group simply because you're scared to death that they're going to drive you out of business if you don't, but that's the case. And of course, as time has gone on, you've gotten more people coming along who are on board completely. You know, it's kind of like Patty Hearst. (laughs) If you go back to that, yeah, she was kidnapped and then she was all in with the kidnappers. It's kind of the same thing. But what I'm talking about is a scandal involving Alfonso David. Now, you might not know that name off the top of your head. Alfonso David is the president of the Human Rights Campaign. He actually has been pulled into the controversy involving New York Governor Andrew Cuomo and his whole sexual harassment scandal. Now, this goes back to the Hills report initially, and it another report that was released by the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, It followed an independent probe of accusations brought forth by several women, and it mentions the president of the human rights campaign several times. Here's what the Hill reports. It says that Alfonso David, who previously worked in Cuomo's office, provided aides to the government with a confidential personnel file of a former staffer of Cuomo's after the staffer publicly accused the governor of harassment. Cuomo's aides then leaked the file, which included workplace complaints about the former staffer, to media outlets in an attempt to discredit her allegations. Typical leftist garbage, but the head of the human rights campaign was at the center of this. Alfonso David denied wrongdoing in an interview with the Washington Blade. Now, keep in mind, that's LGBT media. That's that's gay blogs and gay news organizations. And they're all over this story. 
And, and they're not all on his side. There are a whole lot of people who are telling him he needs to resign over this. But he did state that he was required to comply with Cuomo aides' requests for the file of the former staffer. Her name is Lindsay Boylan. Now... He has joined numerous former Cuomo allies, the entire New York congressional delegation and President Biden in calling for the governor's resignation, which subsequently happened. So we know Cuomo is stepping down after reading This is just amazing. After reading the attorney general's devastating report that concluded Governor Cuomo engaged in a pattern of sexual harassment in violation of both federal and state law, he should resign, tweeted out Alfonso David. And then, of course, the comments in response to that tweet were utterly hilarious because it was a whole bunch of people going, what about you, dude? Why don't you step down? Why don't you step down? He was a counselor, by the way. This is his background. Alfonso David was a counselor to Cuomo in 2018 when Boylan resigned after Cuomo allegedly kissed her without her consent. David kept Boylan's confidential information when he left Cuomo's office to become the president of the Human Rights Campaign. Does that seem a little odd? Uh, What do I know? The attorney general report also states that David helped prepare a plan to discredit another accuser in which Cuomo would call her and secretly record their conversation. Aren't these wonderful gentlemen just the best? What do you mean this girl accused me of, you know, kissing her without her consent? Let's get her confidential personnel file and let's leak stuff to the media to discredit her. Oh, it's so sleazy. I'm so glad that guy is leaving. Those allegations, by the way, come as HRC fights an influx of state-level bills targeting transgender individuals and pushes Congress to pass its signature LGBT rights legislation, the Equality Act. Yeah, LGBT rights. It's a destruction of religious freedom. That's basically what it is. The LGBT rights group is confronting a surge in anti-trans harassment and violence in recent years. That's not true anti-trans harassment. No, how about we we don't believe that girls can become boys or vice versa. It's not that hard. Now, I want to go to the Washington Blade report on this because you learn more about what's going on with Alfonso David. Alfonso David insists, by the way, that this AG report doesn't indicate any wrongdoing on his behalf, that he kept the personnel file for an employee within the office accusing the governor of sexual misconduct, then assisted in efforts to leak that file to the media in an attempt to discredit her. Hmm. Okay, that's what he did. Uh, Further, this report finds he allegedly said he would help find individuals to sign their names to a draft op-ed that sought to discredit the survivor but went unpublished, although he wouldn't sign the document himself. Well, now Alfonso David has come out with a statement on Twitter, which I find full of holes. It's a little Swiss cheesy. And he's talking about, oh, I fully endorse the decision of the boards of the human rights campaign to conduct an independent review of the New York State Attorney General's report. Yeah, except the human rights campaign has already come forward and renewed his contract. So what is the likelihood that an independent review is going to send him packing? Well, I don't know. Cuomo, you know, did the same thing. I'm not going anywhere. And then eventually the pressure became so much that he decided he would resign. But this is what Alfonso David said. Multiple inaccuracies have been circulating and therefore this definitive review is important. For instance, I had no knowledge of any incidents of misconduct involving the 11 survivors referenced in the AG's report and in fact learned about these allegations by reading the report. I was directed to turn over an electronic copy of a counseling memo regarding a state employee after I left state service, which I was legally obligated to do for a former client. 
Why did he still have it? And question mark. As the report makes clear, I was not involved in any public dissemination of that memo, which was part of a larger physical file, all in the possession of the governor's office. I was also asked to sign a letter about that same employee, which I refused to sign and never agreed to circulate it. I did not sign their original letter nor any of their other letters because it runs counter to my basic principles and the work I've dedicated my life to. Hang on a second. If you didn't even know what you were handing over the file for, then why in the world did you decline to sign a letter about the same employee because it violates your values? Clearly, you knew exactly what was going on, at least from what you're saying here, Alfonso David, you knew exactly what was going on and you were a participant in it and you are confident, apparently, of the human rights campaign support for you that you're not going to lose your job if they can help it. And so why not just, you know, perpetuate your defense It's disgusting. You know what? These people have wreaked so much havoc on our culture. They haven't just wreaked havoc on Christians and on churches and on uh, basic civility and basic morality in so many cases, demonizing people who say there's no such thing as two men getting married or two women getting married. They've had no mercy for anybody who has been willing to stand up to their evil agenda. And to see this, this is to me an indication that it could all be unraveling for the human rights campaign. Now, I wouldn't go so far as to say the human rights campaign is about to disband. Oh, Lord, please let it happen. I pray for that. But you know something? There, This is a scandal that I mentioned before has been picked up by the homosexual activist media. So the fact that they're upset about this, I think, you know, Cuomo, as I said before, Cuomo sat tight as long as he could. And then all of a sudden the winds changed and he suddenly decided that he had no other choice but to step down because there were enough people on his side who wanted him to step down. And of course, Alfonso David should lose his job. Of course he should. Now, whether or not he will remains unlikely. But we'll see what happens. And in fact, I'm going to talk when we come back with someone who is alerting the corporations who support the human rights campaign about this scandal and asking them, well, are you going to continue to support these sexual radicals amid all their hypocrisy? We'll come back on Janet Mefford today. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom, thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. All gifts are tax-deductible. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? 
Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. It is a very interesting predicament facing the sexual radicals over at the Human Rights Campaign, the largest pro-homosexual, pro-transgender lobbying group in the country. The president of the Human Rights Campaign, Alfonso David, according to The Hill, provided aides to exiting New York Governor Andrew Cuomo with a confidential personnel file of one of his former staffers after the staffer publicly accused the governor of harassment. The Hill also reported that Alfonso worked with Cuomo's staff on other other moves meant to disparage accusers. So what does this say about how the human rights campaign views women? Well, now the Free Enterprise Project at the National Center for Public Policy Research has brought this matter to the attention of a number of woke corporations that say they support equality for women, but also support the human rights campaign, which is rather awkward. How did they respond to this appropriate pressure to abandon their support for the human rights campaign? We're going to talk about it now with Scott Shepard, fellow at the National Center for Public Policy Research and director of the Free Enterprise Project, the conservative movement's only full-service shareholder activism and education program. Scott, so great to have you with us. Thanks for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure to be with you today. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, of course. Tell us about this letter that you sent to these CEOs, because this is really a scandal, and and a lot of people are kind of wanting it to go under the rug, especially these corporations that support HRC. But tell people what's been going on here. Well, it is a scandal, and HRC is itself something of a scandal. I mean, almost everything it does and it, that uh, corporations reflect in interacting with it is a fraud. You start with the basic fact that it claims that it's the, the voice of the gay, lesbian, transgender, et cetera, et cetera, community. Yeah. It's not. It's no. a hard left um, policy organization that always has the wokest left wing positions, but a third of gays and lesbians, well, a third of gays and, and a significant uh, number of lesbians voted for Donald Trump last time. A third to a half voted for George Bush in the beginning of the century. So the idea that that they speak and, and not it, there's there are plenty who are left of center who still aren't woke nut jobs. Yeah. And yet that's the position that HRC always takes while claiming to speak for the whole community the way these organizations do. So that's the first lie. The second lie is their claim that these uh, these companies support the Equality Act, as it's called, and that they support all of the parts of the Equality Act, including parts that would ruin girls and women's sports by having Boys, people who grew up as boys and men play on the on the girls and women's team, making it impossible for women to compete after 40 years of getting real competitive, exciting girls and women's sports off the ground. They would uh, the the Equality Act would strip away longstanding statutory protections uh, for religious people, for people of faith in this country. 
and and they would make it harder for women to be safe in shelters and in safe places, you know, all across the country. Now, we've asked a number of uh, CEOs to their face, do you support all those portions of the, the Equality Act? Do you really want to discriminate against women and girls and the religious while you claim that you're all about equality and equity? We haven't had a single company say, oh, yeah, that's what we want to do. <laughs> what they say is we support non-discrimination for everyone at work. Well, most people support non-discrimination for everyone at work. But the thing is, the Supreme Court declared in, a, in an opinion last year that that's already covered um, by the Constitution. So the parts of the Equality Act that companies actually support or will admit to supporting are unnecessary and repetitive. And the parts that HRC says that they support, none of them will come out and say that they support. So it's fraud all the way down. And then the, the cherry on the, on the, the Sunday of all of this is that HRC has this vile person this this victim shaming person as their president and me too uh its founders were involved in this they've resigned other people were involved in the cuomo disaster they've resigned what we've got is alfonso david and hrc conducting an internal whitewash to save his skin and demonstrating you know, just top to bottom, right to left, this is a corrupt organization and corporations uh, that support it, like Coca-Cola, like Pfizer at the platinum level, are implicit or, or, or are complicit in their uh, in HRC's corruption. Well, right. So you wrote this letter. And what exactly did you ask for them to do? Did you ask them explicitly to abandon their financial support for HRC or what did you ask of them and what was the response, if any? Well, yeah, we we asked them to um, to abandon or at least to justify uh, their support, right? To consider the fact that HRC is corrupt in all the ways we considered, and to clarify for all of us, for investors, you know, we're investors in these companies that we we get in touch with, for investors, for consumers, for the general public, for all the stakeholders they claim to care so much about. Um, to clarify for us just what parts of the Equality Act they do support and don't support, and whether they are in favor of discrimination um, against people of faith and girls and women, and whether they're in favor of victim shaming. And so four of the companies so far have ignored us. Pfizer uh, got back in touch with us, uh, a representative from Pfizer got back in touch with us to let us know that a a full response is in the works. That's obviously something they're going to want to pass through their their legal department. I don't think the legal department has been can, has been involved enough in these corporate drives toward wokeness that are largely unconstitutional and definitely discriminatory. But but Pfizer made some response. Coca Cola. I mean, try to be less white. But Coke, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. of course, ignored us because they're apparently just letting their 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 hate flag fly at Coca Cola, um, and you know the the other. Uh, the other usual suspects, but but that's the only response we've gotten so far. Man, that is disappointing. And the thing is, it's so hypocritical. I, I, You know, just going back to the history of the human rights campaign, their corporate equality index, they have been so successful over the last couple of decades in scaring corporations into getting on board with everything they want or else. Because, I mean, they were involved in cancel culture way before a lot of other people caught on. If you don't support everything LGBT that we want you to support, 
then we will go out there and try to ruin your company. They did this to Exxon and some other companies that were holding out on supporting the LGBT cause. They, they need a little accountability, more than a little, but I think it's important to hold their feet to the fire because they're hypocrites. Even I was looking at this, Scott, even in some of the homosexual websites that do gay news, they're mad at Alfonso David. They see the hypocrisy of Alfonso David handing over this file for this accuser that Cuomo is trying to smear in his sexual harassment fight. And then this report comes out and, and you know, throws Alfonso David under the bus. Now Alfonso David is trotting out friends to defend him and talking about this independent review by HRC. Do you have any confidence whatsoever that HRC is even capable of doing an independent review of any type at all? No, no. They've they've got a, a tame law firm that's going to come in and say, "Oh, yep, you did it right." Yeah. The other the other organizations that had people involved in this didn't need a long explanation. I mean, Letitia James of all people, the Attorney General of of New York, made it all clear. She's not biased against the HRC, right? A Democrat right. Attorney General of New York is not biased against the HRC. She didn't go out of her way to hang these people out to dry. The the state of New York has done the investigation. HRC, if it weren't a fraudulent organization, if it really did care about human rights, would have acted like these other organizations have acted. Instead, it's a far-left organization, and they never thought about any bad consequences coming out of of protecting a left-winger. Just like in the 90s, you could say anything terrible you wanted about the people who who uh, accused Bill Clinton because, you know, accepting their accusations, treating those women with respect would have would have broken down that that hard left administration as well. So we all know the double standards. And as you say, what we're trying to do is hold these organizations and these corporations to account. So if they really care about people, they're required to always care about people. And if this is just left wing corporate activism, then it should be seen as such. And all of us have to not just not buy their stuff, but constantly make it perfectly clear to them on Facebook, on Twitter, by all means available, maybe by protesting in front of their their offices, that we're not going to put up with us being discriminated against by people who themselves insist that they're acting in the most equitable and noble uh, uh frame of mind because it's a lie and then the left's gotten its way for 30 years by being really active about these things and in order to get our companies and our country back we're going to have to be equally um aggressive and active. Well, that's why I'm so thrilled you're doing what you're doing. You guys are really, really doing important work here. And it's interesting because I was reading that the board over at HRC has shown no sign of turning on Alfonso David. In fact, they announced they renewed his contract on his two-year anniversary for five more years. That doesn't look like an independent review is going to do anything to budge them. Is it because, in your estimation, if they were to remove him, it would harm the greater cause uh, that they're trying to move forward on? Well, I think to to declare a contract renewal in the middle of an investigation is to make perfectly clear to the world that the investigation is a sham. Yeah. And they may think it would harm their cause to get rid of them. I think it's just that they're so they're they're so insider and 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 feel so protected because of the way the press ignores any wrongdoing um, by people on the left until they can't avoid it that yep. they're going to get through with this yep. to get through this. But I think it's going to be 
they may haul themselves below the waterline with this. Who can? It's, you cannot come out and say that you're in favor of human rights when your president is a victim shamer. Yep. They'll just get laughed off the screen. And, and people of good faith, you know, I don't want to discriminate against gays or lesbians or anything. But when, when you look at the organization that, that pretends that it's speaking their interests and every single thing they say is a lie and a, a misinterpretation and a, a mischaracterization, then, you know, you can be entirely of good faith and tell them that they need to go uh, walk off that short pier because exactly. it's just nonsense. It know? is just nonsense. Nationalcenter.org. You can check it out. And so glad for your work, Scott Shepard. Thanks for being here and keep up the good work. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Oh, you are welcome. Thanks for being here. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. While a Pew Research Center study conducted last year revealed that 49% of Americans, when asked what cancel culture meant to them, said that phrase describes actions people take to hold others accountable. So I guess that means if you were canceled from social media for saying a man cannot get pregnant, which is objective truth, half of Americans now believe that's just holding you accountable for your actions. And that all really says a lot about where our nation is right now on the issue of speech. And yet even some conservatives have argued that free speech is the be all end all. And therefore, you know, we have to just give up any pretense of fighting to preserve what is good or virtuous or right in society. And of course, we all suffer when that happens. The question is, is there a way back? We're going to tackle this today with Michael Knowles, host of The Daily Wire's The Michael Knowles Show and Prager Use The Book Club. Michael's new book is called Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. Michael, great to have you with us. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you bet. When you look out on American culture right now, how would you assess the on-the-ground health of speech, not as codified in the First Amendment as free speech, but as actually practiced in our culture? <laughs> not looking too great. <laughs> is that a diplomatic way to put it? Yeah. I really, beginning on January 7th or January 8th of this year, uh, all of the illusions as to this present speech situation fell away when three unelected billionaire oligarchs censored the duly elected president of the United States, the sitting president. They kicked him out of the public square. Uh, that, that was when Donald Trump was removed, not just from Twitter, but from all the major social media platforms, which now control the flow of information around the Internet. They can flow speech. Uh, they control speech in a republic. And speech in a republic is the way that we govern ourselves, the way that we the way that we actually rule ourselves is by talking to one another and deliberating and persuading. And so it, it's a very bad situation. And it's not just in the overt censorship sphere, though we see a lot of that. I suspect many of your listeners have found themselves on the wrong end of a social media censor at some point or another. Yeah. But it's also the pre-censorship. It's also the things that you're told that you're not even allowed to say 
that you can't even think. It's, it's the, the way in which the left, through political correctness, wokeism, or whatever you want to call it, has redefined so many of the words in an attempt to redefine reality. And I think they've actually done a pretty good job of it, which is why conservatives have not had a major cultural victory in, well, in my entire lifetime. Yeah. No, you're right about that. You can get in big trouble now just for saying a man cannot become a woman. And and then when you get canceled, you're saying, well, wait a minute. How in the world did we get to the point where we have to, as Americans, deny reality in order to have the right to go on the Internet and post our opinions? Where are the conservatives really making a difference in countering that argument, not just arguing for free speech, as we often do, but also countering the argument and defending why we should be able to proclaim objective truth. Well, I think you've just hit the nail on the head. I think the, the problem that a lot of conservatives have fallen into, and it, look, they, their hearts were in the right place. I, I think they meant well, but they fell for the trap of political correctness, which is that as they were refusing to accept the new woke standard of the left, they abandoned standards entirely. They, they used phrases like free speech absolutism. They suggested, in a, in a way that is really ahistorical, it's never existed in America, that you ought to be able to say and do whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want to do it. And in so doing, they gave the left a, a real opportunity, because what the left is after with all of these speech codes and behavior codes, they're just trying to upend all of the traditional standards of society. In many ways, I hate to say it, I think the left understands free speech a lot better than conservatives do. And they recognize that political correctness, the, the battle that we're in right now is not just a battle between free speech on the one hand and censorship on the other. It's, it's a battle between competing sets of standards. It's a battle between competing claims of what is true and good and right. In a way, when, when the left says that cancel culture is just a, a means of holding people responsible, in a way, they're right. There, there has always been cancel culture. All cultures cancel and have taboos and standards. What has changed is the standard by which we judge people. So the way I think about it is in the 1950s, you would be canceled for being a communist, and today you're canceled for not being a communist. <laughs> and I think that's probably a term for the worse, and we ought to fight back. Well, this is interesting because people will know about this incident from a couple of years ago. You reference it in your book. But David French, whom everybody knows, commentator, referred in The New Yorker a couple of years ago to the Drag Queen Story Hour as one of the blessings of liberty. Being able to hold a Drag Queen Story Hour is one of the blessings of liberty. And he was skewered, skewered for saying this. But the question is, why... Why in the world would you have somebody arguing that the greater good is to allow people, some of whom have been actually arrested and convicted of sexual predation against children, that that's a higher good to let them have the freedom or the people who support them have the freedom to welcome them into a library in front of kids rather than saying this is morally evil. We can't put up with this as a culture. Have we lost a sense of moral evil? You know, liberalism is a real heavy drug, is the way I think about it. And, yeah. and even the lowercase L that David French was channeling when he made that claim. I want to be as fair as I can to David's claim, which is obviously preposterous. But, but what, what he said was that if we do not allow perverts to twerk for toddlers <laughs> at the library, then the left may not let us go to church on Sundays. And first of all, as a practical matter, they've already been keeping us out of church on Sundays for the yeah. <laughs> better part of a year yeah. during coronavirus. But, but even putting that aside, if we really cannot tell the difference 
between a pervert jiggling for a kid and a pastor preaching the gospel or a rabbi reading from the Torah or something like that. We, we There's just no way of knowing which is better and which is worse. Then what we're saying is that we don't have faculties of reason, we don't have a moral conscience, and we, we cannot govern ourselves, because self-government entails making these kind of moral judgments and these, these truth claims. If we go all the way toward the radical skepticism of, say, David French or any of the, the liberals who make these claims, the sort of centrist conservatives, then we're, we're left with this question, well, who decides? And the answer in a republic is, we decide, we the people. We used to do that in this country until very recently, and until conservatives lost, lost their backbone and lost their minds. Yeah, well, and, and it's interesting because if you let them take over, in other words, it's kind of this kind of this idea that if we just let them on the other side who are doing evil things just keep doing their evil things, then they will allow us to do our good things. Well, that hasn't right. turned out so well. So we even have <laughs> we have evidence that if you take that tag you will fail. We have failed spectacularly for years in the culture war because of that. Why no turnaround from some of these people on the issue of maybe my free speech absolutism wasn't such a great take? Well, I was being very charitable before. I'll be a little less charitable now. I think that in the ruling class, I think that in the prominent conservatives or Republicans that you see, with exception, of course, but in many, many cases, they're not really fighting to win. I think they're fighting to lose with dignity. Uh. <laughs> and I don't think they have a whole lot of dignity when they do it, by the way. I think that they're basically comfortable in the prevailing dominant liberal regime. I think they basically amount to court jester conservatives whose entire purpose is to legitimize the, the liberal rule that we all live under. And you saw a little bit with, with the rise of Donald Trump. Uh, uh, cracking through of that madness. Yeah. Donald Trump, when he ran, political correctness is the biggest, biggest problem in the country. And, and I think he's probably right. You know, when, when the left uh, tries to get us to call men she and women he, for instance, when they try to change all of the words, sometimes you'll hear those squishy conservatives say, oh, who cares? It's mm. just semantics. <laughs> First of all, semantics means the meaning of words, means meaning itself. But second of all, the left cares. The left obviously cares because they know that words carry whole premises, whole political vision. And uh, for the past 10 or 20 years, the right has not had a political vision beyond temporarily cutting taxes. Mm-hmm. And until we recover a substantive vision of politics, free speech isn't going to matter very much in the abstract because we won't have anything to say in practice. Yeah, you're totally right about that. It can't just be about low taxes in the economy. And we've had a lot of that in the political sphere for a long time. We also can't have, as cynics might point out, people who would rather fight to fundraise than fight to win. I mean, that's <laughs> that has been a very cynical take on the issue of whether or not these cultural commentators on the right are fighting hard enough. If you make more money in some cases saying what you're saying, then... Maybe they just stick with it. We're going to come back. Michael Knowles is with us. His book is called Speechless. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This is Janet Mefford, and I'm joined today by Matt Bellis with Liberty HealthShare, a national nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry. Matt, tell us what Liberty HealthShare is all about. Well, Liberty HealthShare is a network of men, women, and children all across this country who voluntarily share medical bills with one another. 
and we do so without the advent of any kind of government program or third-party insurance. We're voluntarily sharing medical bills with one another. It's what you would normally do with people whenever you had a situation that was unexpected and unaffordable. It'd be your friends and family and community that you would turn to. So we're a group of people sharing each other's medical bills with one another. How does Liberty HealthShare respect your conscience as a Christian? Well, as Christians, we are very much pro-life. And as an organization, we respect that as well. So you can be rest assured that if you are a part of Liberty HealthShare, none of your share amounts are going towards things that would violate your conscience. So we would never contribute or share money in something that would result in the end of an abortion or or go towards an abortifacient drug, that's not who we are at all because we know that's not who you are at all. Is Liberty HealthShare affordable? Well, a lot of people seem to think so, uh, and that's a big part of uh, what we're about. We feel that it's immoral to add expense or to uh, have backdoor pricing on a lot of health care bills. And so with Liberty HealthShare, we've done all that we can do to make the Christian tradition of health care sharing available and affordable to all. Thanks, Matt. More information about Liberty HealthShare is available at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or their phone number is 855-585-4237. That's 855-585-4237. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now here's Janet. Well, this is such an important subject, what is going on in our culture concerning free speech and censorship. We've been talking about it quite a lot. Michael Knowles has a great book out about this subject, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. He is host of The Daily Wire's The Michael Knowles Show. So appreciate your being with us, Michael. And I want to go back to this issue of conservatives not adequately fighting for what is right. Now, How would you say we need to approach this issue of correcting the idea that the public square should be values neutral? What should we be fighting for and how? Well, we we need to get over this this crazy notion that's cropped up recently that any use of the government is somehow unjust. Yes, we, we oppose limitless government. We don't like that. But there are other threats as well beyond big government. There's big tech, for instance, which, which is by definition engaging in a political act. If they're controlling the speech in our republic and censoring people for their political views, that's by definition political. It is perfectly just and right to use the government to stop that sort of thing. There's big woke business, woke multinational corporations that are behaving, in Mitch McConnell's words, as a sort of parallel government. Obviously, we can't tolerate that sort of thing either. And we need to recognize, I think, that all liberty involves limits. From from the very beginning of our country, there have been whole swaths of speech that have been off-limits, not because the Founding Fathers wanted to really curtail and limit free speech, but because they wanted to defend free speech. So things like threats, fighting words, uh, obscenity, those things that have been off-limits. Today, we, we seem to believe that uh, there's nothing more American than, than widespread, ubiquitous, hardcore pornography that can be accessed by seven-year-olds. Right. We seem to think that's as American as apple pie. And that's preposterous. So I think conservatives need to uh, recognize that this 
arch libertarian position that they've been duped into accepting over the past couple decades is silly. It's ahistorical. It has nothing to do with the American tradition. And so one of the ways back in, I think, into a more sensible, serious American kind of free speech regime would be to would be to go right back to porn and, and regulate pornography on the internet. This is something that the vast majority of people want to do, especially young people, actually, because they've been exposed to this from such a young age. It does not have a First Amendment protection. It does not have any value as speech. And even as recently as a dozen years ago, pornographers were going to federal prison for years and years for obscenity. As recently as 20 years ago, you had Republicans in the House, Democrats in the Senate, Democrats in the White House, who were passing laws to limit the spread of obscene, indecent, and prurient content on the Internet. So I think if we began with, with as modest a proposal as that, as just saying, look, we can know that some things are really bad and we can limit that, and that's not, not going to destroy the First Amendment, I think conservatives would get a bit of our confidence back, and then we can engage in the necessary work of politics, which is determining the kind of country that we want to live in. Yeah, very, very true. We absolutely have to go after pornography because of all of the tentacles of pornography reaching kids on the internet. It's just incredible, the horrible effects on our nation. Here's an idea too. What about the idea of attacking the hypocrisy of the left? And I know this is a different angle than just defending virtue and truth, which absolutely needs to take place. But I was thinking, for example, the left has made much of the slogan, my body, my choice. They have just said that for years and years and years. And yet it seems when it comes to the COVID-19 vaccine, if you say my body, my choice, for whatever reason, it could be a bad reason or a good reason, they discount that. Why not hold them to the same standards? Going back to Alinsky's rules for radicals, the whole thing was hold your opponents and your enemies to their own set of standards. Have we done that well enough, do you think? Well, I, I think we have tried to in certain cases. Sometimes you will hear people say, you know, if the shoe were on the other foot, could you imagine what people would say? And <laughs> the, the, the problem is that conservatives don't have any institutional political power at the moment. Right. We've lost the government, we've lost the bureaucracy, big tech, the media, the schools, the everything. I mean, frankly, we've even lost the military. So I think we can yell until we're blue in the face and try to point out the hypocrisy. But for the left, first of all, they're going to limit the spread of those messages. But second of all, I don't think they care about the hypocrisy. In many ways, I think it's not hypocrisy, but hierarchy. They believe that there is one set of rules for them and another set of rules for the rest of us. And so, uh, yes, I mean, it's very important to point out the flaws in their arguments, the inconsistencies that they're making. But I think the only long-term strategy for us in the area we've really most lost out on over the recent years is we need to amass political power. We need to actually, this took the left a century to do it, but we need to infiltrate those institutions again, amass some political power, and wield it in a just way, and in keeping with the American tradition. I I don't think that the left is going to listen to very much beyond uh, actual power. (laughs) We won't be able to do that until we've got the leverage. Well, that's true. And and it's interesting when you mention big tech and how big tech is censoring people right and left, the the president of the United States, who, who, former president of the United States can't be on Twitter, but the Taliban sure can. I mean, th- th- we all recognize the insanity of that. But what if the issue of conviction, Michael, how much of that plays into this? Because it seems to me the people who are most willing to speak up are the people with the most conviction. In other words, they're the ones who say, I don't really care if anybody else isn't going to speak out. I can't just sit here and say a man can become a woman or, you know, a child who wants to become the other gender should have uh, the custody taken, the parents should lose custody of 
of that child if they don't go along with that delusion. What about that angle of virtuous people rising up, maybe a new generation of people who actually have that kind of conviction when it comes to virtue? Well, the conviction is so important because the sad fact is even many people on the right do not have those beliefs. They don't really have those convictions, or at least the confidence to state them. Unfortunately, the conservative view and the the right wing of this country has basically been degraded into a a vague uh, call for personal autonomy and saying, you do you, do whatever you want, just don't scare the horses in the street. And that is insufficient. At a certain point, we've got to move beyond the formal and procedural questions of whether you have the right to do something or not, to, to the deeper question of what is it that we ought to do. I mean, I think of it as the, the big misunderstanding of liberty. The modern liberal understanding of liberty is that liberty is doing whatever you want, whatever you want to do it. But the classical American founding fathers, conservative, serious uh, understanding of liberty, Christian understanding of liberty, is that liberty is the right to do what you ought to do. And, and the, the way I would bring that down to earth is, according to the modern liberal understanding of liberty, the heroin addict is the freest guy in the world. Hmm. He's got a couple bucks in his pocket, he can shoot up. Now, you and I know he's not free, he's a slave. He's a slave to his appetites. And really, to be free, this used to be the purpose of liberal education. You had to make sense of your liberty. You had to tamp down those base passions, cultivate the higher virtues, practice those virtues as habits. This is what John Adams meant when he said that the Constitution is built for a moral and religious people. He's not not Bible-thumping, that's just a plain fact about politics. And so I think we, we need to shake off the crazy liberal slogans of the 1960s, many of which we have bought into ourselves, and recognize that freedom is not free, and actually liberty does entail limits, and we've got to do certain things, and we've got to not do other things if we want to have a flourishing country. Well, you're right about that. And I appreciate what you said in your book in so many respects, but you had a great line. We must not merely demand the right to speak. More important, we must have something to say. This goes back to the issue of conviction. What do we most need to say right now? What do you think is most important for us to say at this moment? We mentioned before fighting pornography. Are there any other issues that you think ought to be brought to the forefront by conservatives at this moment in cultural history? You know, if we were able simply to say that there is such a thing as truth, if we could just say that, I know that sounds so modest, if we could just say that, it would fix a lot of our problems. Yeah. So often what you hear from people is, well, that's just your opinion, that's your preference. No, there is such a thing as truth. We can know something about the world, know something about what we're here for, how we should live, and that's how we've got to govern ourselves. Well, you're right. So fighting postmodernism, that's been the problem for quite a few years, but we really need to take aim at it. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, you know, that's so important. And I'm wondering if you have any hopes when you're looking at the younger generations who tend to be more brainwashed, unfortunately, by big tech and, you know, all of the other forces, cultural forces around us, academia, etc. Do you have any glimmer of hope when you look at the younger generations that there might be some courageous people who are rising up even now to take on these kinds of fights? I do. I have a great deal of hope, actually. I, I speak a lot at college campuses. I, I speak to a very young groups of people, even amid COVID. We've sometimes stuck out and been able to do it. And I find, actually, that it is the younger generations who are hungrier for something real, sub, something substantive, than the older generations, who I think are more easily mollified with the platitudes of individual autonomy or something like that. I find it is the younger people. You even see this in church. The churches that just tell you to be nice and are are very comforting and weak, those tend to be, in my experience, 
a little older in the congregation. There aren't that many kids. They're dying in churches. But when, when I go to churches that are filled with young people and babies and thriving families, they're the ones that want something real and firm and orthodox. Very good. Well, we're going to have to fight for this culture if we want it to continue on as the republic in which we've grown up. Michael Knowles, the book is called Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. So good to talk to you, Michael. Thanks a lot for being with us. Well, thanks so much for having me. You bet. God bless you. Thank you for joining us on Janet Meffer today. We always appreciate you tuning in. We hope you'll do so next time. God bless. Thank you.